Welcome back to She Is Becoming. We are your favorite podcast bringing you topics from God's Word with a multi-generational perspective. You can find our episodes on all the major podcast platforms and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at She's Becoming Podcast to catch our weekly prayer requests and giveaways. Well, I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Hey Delaney, aren't we fortunate today or blessed today to have a guest in on the phone, and we're going to be talking to her about a very important topic to our listeners. Absolutely. Today, we are actually joined by one of my favorite speakers and authors. She is definitely no stranger to Grace Church Women's Ministry or this podcast. She has authored several books, including The Right Kind of Strong and The Right Kind of Confident. And my current favorite read is The Feminist Mistake, where she explains the radical impact of feminism on church and culture. So welcome back to She's Becoming Podcast, Mary Cassian. Hey, good to be with you, Delaney and Bev. Uh, uh, first time to meet you, Bev, um, via by, by podcast here. Um, I'm sure we've met in person at uh, our Grace conferences, too, though. So this is our first time to do a podcast together. Yeah, it's the three of us sitting here I know, today. I'm excited three to be in the room. Yeah. You guys have both impacted my life so much, so this is just mm-hmm. such a real treat for me. Well, it's a treat for me, too, Delaney, and especially to hear from Mary. Mary, we just appreciate your scholarly viewpoints on things as well as your practical application of those uh, truths. So today we always like to kind of start out our interviews with a signature question. Um, Mary, what attribute of God has been impacting your life recently? I think the attribute of God just off the top of my head would just be God's um, sovereignty, just that he's in control um, even when life seems crazy and the world seems crazy and events are swirling around, um, that's just uh, it's just a comfort to know that, that God is sovereign, that he reigns and that nothing is beyond his um, reach or beyond his control, that he, um, that he, he you know, he, he remains on the throne. Mm. And so I... Just uh, love that about God, and I love that is especially when our world gets chaotic. It's it's just a real comfort. Oh, it is. I remember on nine eleven when the uh, twin towers were taken down. That's all I could think about is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. It was the only mm-hmm. thing that brought me comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think when we find ourselves in any kind of a personal turmoil or even just watching the news at night that that attribute I'm so glad you mentioned that yeah yes that's something that we've been talking about a lot lately too is like we're so thankful that these attributes of God are true whether we believe them or not (laughs) like don't we Mm -hmm. need God to be sovereign whether I think he's sovereign or not like I I'm really thankful that he's in control whether I think it or not like it's just such his mercy absolutely well, and our family's just gone through um, just some crisis, uh, you know, just in terms of um, an end-of-life health terminal illness crisis for my father-in-law, and he died just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, yeah, it just the, the sovereignty of God in terms of, you know, when we're born, when we die, um, the era that we live in, you know, just mm-hmm. that that that. He, he numbers our days that he um, he's just in control when things um, when when uh, yeah when we realize it or or when we don't you know when we're thinking that we really need him to be in control mm-hmm. and even when um, 
uh, he's just in control all the time. It's such a comfort. It is. Uh, so sorry thought. to. Yeah. So sorry about your father-in-law. How is everyone mm. doing? Yeah, everyone's doing all right. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots that that accompanies that. I I feel like um, you know processing his. Uh, passing, like it just in terms of missing him or um, that we're just kind of getting to that point now because it was such an intense last couple of months uh, just with the health issues that were sure. going on. Um, so, you know, anybody who's walked through a terminal illness with someone or cancer um, understands what I'm saying, that, that there's just so much intensity and, and there's so much you're in crisis mode it really for right. so long or over an extended period of time that finally when the crisis mode is over it's just whoa yeah you're, <laughs> you're almost numb while. yeah you're almost numb at, yeah. at that point but then yeah. then as time goes on I find that that hole <laughs> that was them that is so missed now starts to increase in size and you start to yeah, feel that starts, impact. It starts, mm -hmm. to, it starts to sink in. You know, the crisis is, is past. Um, you're not in crisis mode anymore. And, and so just working through some of that and just getting over the exhaustion and the, um, you know, the adrenaline running because you know, when you're Every day, you're not sure what that day is going to look like when there's no certainty in terms of what your days are like. It, it takes a little while to recalibrate, I think, afterwards. Oh, for sure. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, Delaney, you want to start our conversation with Mary about feminism. Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you for sharing, Mary. We always just appreciate your authenticity and we just love your family. So thank you for sharing that. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, I have been reading your book, The Feminist Mistake. It is, um, you know, I, I think I told you the last time I talked to you that I was reading it. I'm, I'm still reading it. Okay. I'm a slow reader. <laughs> well, it's, I, it's, you dense. Know, it's not an easy read. And I'm going like Delaney, you like, I am a fan. If you're reading The Feminist Gospel, my it's, goodness, that book was written like 30 or 40 years ago. I can't even 1990, I think, or 92 or it's something 2005, like that. It's 2005, I think, actually. I think I think I looked it up and it was something like that. But you would know more, honestly. I don't know what I'm saying. Well, 2005 was the was the 15-year anniversary. Oh. So it, was, it was, like, written, uh, it was republished under, it was first published under The Feminist Mistake. I think it was 1990 or 1992, and then it was republished 15 years later. And um, I, I'm just always astonished, like, that this book that's 30 or 40 years old, uh, like, I wrote it when I was, um, Delaney, you, I, I think I was writing it, I was your age or maybe even younger. Wow. So that's how old this book is. And, yeah, it was, and it's the history and philosophy of the feminist movement, which I'm thrilled that we've got Bev um, here as we're talking, because Bev will have gone through a lot of it um, as I did um, because Beth, how, you're, you're how old now? I'm, I'm 68, proud of it. Yeah. 68. <laughs> 68, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I went so through the 70s, was, dear. <laughs> they were yeah, pretty you awful. Did. I and did. I mean, I was, born, I was born in 1960, so I'm a 1960s baby. Um, and I remember, you know, so many of the changes and you would probably even remember a few more than I do just in terms of just the whole feminist movement. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it's had a profound impact 
And for those of us who are, you know, who are a little bit older, we have seen uh, life change dramatically for women. Um, for some of you who are younger listening to this, uh, feminism is just in the air. It's the way we think. It's, it's the way we process what goes on in our world. And we, we aren't even often aware of the ideas that feminism introduced into culture. Yeah, the the relevance of this book is is uh, astonishing, honestly. Like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, I feel the same way about the feminist messaging that I'm receiving, like, almost on a daily basis. Can you just maybe give us what would be, like, a good definition of modern-day feminism? And then can you just, like, briefly yeah. share what the post-feminist era means? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think we're in a post-feminist era, but we'll get there in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it, but you've hit on a, something that's really important, and that is defining feminism, because feminism is an ideology that has a distinct uh, set of ideas. It's kind of like an, it's an ism, feminism. So it's like um, Marxism or existentialism. Or, you know, any kind of other ism that is actually an ideology. So a lot of people think feminism is just, you know, sticking up for um, uh, the worth and the dignity of women. It's equality. And being against things. Yeah, yeah. Like being against things like trafficking of women or abuse of women. And and, uh, people kind of often equate feminism with that. And certainly feminism has spoken out against a lot of those things. But feminism is actually a distinct ideology. So when people say I'm a feminist or, I, uh, you know, I, I often ask them, what do you mean by that? And they go, well, I'm, you know, for women being equal. And then, well, what do you mean by that? Um, and, and you kind of have to drill down into it a little bit because I think often we think, oh, I'm a feminist and you don't really fully understand all of the ideology of feminism. And feminism really as an ideology, uh, the modern day ideology of feminism really started in the 1960s um, with um, a big movement, women's rights movement that happened uh, through through the 60s and 70s. And, uh, and then, you know, it kind of died down a little bit and then there was another wave of feminism that probably came you know through the whole me too movement and uh some of the the changes that we've seen or or philosophical changes we'll talk about that in a minute but i think it's important for women to understand that feminism isn't just being for women or or you know, in, in terms of I support women or I want women to be treated fairly. I want women to be treated well and with dignity and honor. Um, that's if, if that were feminism, then, then, you know, we could easily equate or um, feminism with, with the teachings of the Bible. Right. But in my mind, feminism is an ideology that is actually runs counter or against the teachings of, of the Bible in many of its core um, philosophies. Now, there certainly are concerns of feminism that are definitely in line uh, that every Christian should be concerned about fairness and about dignity and worth and honor and those things. But I think where feminism 
depart as a philosophy, depart from what the Bible teaches is in the whole question of who has the right to name or to determine, um, you know, meaning. So who has the right to determine meaning for my life as a woman and what uh, womanhood means, what my life means? Who has that right? And feminism would say that women have the right to self-define and to define the world. And even um, as as they move on in feminist philosophy to define God, to take a look and say, no, I don't agree with that. I do agree with this. Um, And to pick and choose sort of even uh, spirituality and religion. Mary, if we could... feminism... Yes, go ahead, finish. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Let's back up just a little bit. You said that there's the modern-day feminism is different from that early feminist movement. You want to tell us how that kind of started to evolve? Like, what what was the early message, and then what is the message today? Sure. I mean, uh, I, I think you need to understand... Um, how fem- first feminism, the first wave really in the 20s and the 30s was about, um, you know, equal rights in terms of women uh, having the right to vote right. that really, you know, surrounded that. The second wave of feminism was in the 1960s. And I think you need to understand that that whole uh, wave of feminism was, was a reaction against the whole um, women staying at home, being homemakers, having kids. And uh, that was kind of what was happening in the 1950s because all the men came back from war. There were appliances that were being um, pushed and the Susie homemaker um, ideal for women was being pushed. And so there, there was a real rebellion against that and saying, we don't like being defined by men. We don't like being... Um, defined by society telling us who we should be as women. We have the right to name ourselves. And that's, that was kind of the wave of feminism uh, that, that really uh, went through the 1960s and 1970s. And that really impacted um, how culture operates and really in terms of just the, the whole push for women being exactly the, like being, um, equality meaning sameness and then it, it really shifted again uh in a, right around 2000 where i would say that was third wave feminism um and third wave feminism really uh launched for, through it was actually through punk rock through um it was called the riot girls there was a feminist punk rock movement and uh, there was a book called Manifesta and in, uh, published in 2000 and Jessica Valenti's 2007 book, which is Full Frontal Feminism. And they, third wave feminism, and I guess this is the one that most girls listening, most women listening will be the most familiar with. Um, it really introduced the idea that women can self-define and that, that, um, um, that defining yourself as a sexual being and sexual sexuality is power, sex and raunch um, was a political statement and a mar- mark of your power as a woman. And they really, and, and, and in with that came the idea that second wave feminism 
started saying, you know what, uh, we need to redefine gender and what gender means. And third wave feminism actually said, we need to deconstruct gender because we it means whatever it means. And there is no one standard. What is a woman? Anybody can be a woman. Um, anybody can be a man. You can define those. Uh, you can define those categories. So instead of redefining gender as a category or redefining womanhood as a category, third wave feminism actually said those categories don't exist. We can, we, you know, we, it's, it's, you can't even have a category of woman. Um, it can, you know, a man can be a woman. Um, right. And, you know, men can, men can have babies or men can be a woman. And, you know, we're right in that, the thick of that right now, culturally, where we're seeing, you know, uh, a couple of years back, where the uh, woman of the year was the biological man, you know, <laughs> it's like, how can, yeah. how can a biological man be the woman of the year? You know, that, the, and, but that's, that comes through the whole um, philosophy of third wave feminism, which is really tied into critical race theory and gender ideology. And, and so, so you see this whole progression and what's so fascinating about it is it always starts out with ideas and then those ideas eventually filter down into behavior. And uh, people now are going, well, where did all this come from? And it's, well, these ideas actually can be traced back to, you know, 2000 for, for the um, third wave feminist ideas. And if you go back to second wave feminist ideas, that can be traced back to the 1960s. So the ideas and the philosophies start being written about by people who are, are you know, begin to have these ideas and push the ideas, but then it eventually filters down and affects behavior and affects us all at a very real and personal level. Right, right. And, you know, you brought up a really good point where I see modern day feminism as really an attack on women and an attack on womanhood. Like you bring up, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, winning that award. You bring up um, you know, biologically male athletes competing against, you know, biologically female athletes and winning and dominating and all of these, you know, different race, like yeah. you just bring it up. And it's like, we're actually, I feel like setting back, like all of this maybe so-called progression that they would say, we're, it's like, you're taking it back. Like, it's like, you're, you're trying to push towards this goal, but really what you're doing is you're just canceling it out by all these different agendas you're bringing. And, and from your book, I think something that was really interesting to me um, was just this, the feminist progression to be equal, then superior, and now genderless. Like it was like, we, it started out like, you know, we want to vote, we want to whatever own land. And now it became like, actually, we're better than men and we're divine or we're, we're this, we're that. And then it's like, now anybody can be a woman, even if you're biologically not a woman, like just yep. the illogical... Yep progression of this well, is just you know, crazy. I mean, I mean, the whole, the whole premise is, it's like, in a way, feminists were sitting on that, you know, branch and sawing it off. And now they're, I, I think that, you know, womanhood is, is really taking a hit because, you know, if a man can be a better woman than a woman can be, that's like, yeah. you know, or if you can't even define what a woman is. I mean, we're having our politicians now, they're, they're being asked and they, they, they can't even define what a woman is. Mm -hmm. they, there's, there's no definition. And yet somehow 
we're supposed to be protecting women and looking out for women's rights, but there's no definition of that. And so you have, you know, the, the uh, biological men who self-identify as women who are allowed to be in a, the women's washrooms and the women's prisons and the women's, you know, spaces. And we're running into all kinds of problems now um, due to that. Because um, they're they're it, and so what you're saying, so when 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 the philosophy is, I get to define what a woman is, I get to define my own rules. When that's your fundamental premise, which was 1960s, then logically, as that premise progresses, then it's like, well, then everybody has the right to define what a woman is and everybody has the right to make up their own rules because there's no standard that is unchanging or no standard that is immutable and we when when we leave god out of the picture when it comes to who we are as women um we're going to go down the, the wrong path and that's what's happened is that in in a desire to do right by women um but in leaving God out of the picture, um, it's actually turned in on itself. And there's a lot of problems now with, with um, what, what you're saying, the deconstruction of women and uh, deconstruction of womanhood and, and that, you know, anything goes and really it doesn't matter. And um, we shouldn't even have the categories of male and female or right. gender any, lo- any longer. Right. Do, do you think so this has, had something to do? Like, yeah. Go ahead. Do you think this has something to do with too that because there are surgical procedures now and medicine and hormones that people think that it's flux? You know that if I want to be a man, I can be a man. If I want to be a woman, I can be a woman. And they've just that has helped to erase that clear designation that God has given each of us at birth. I think that that uh, you're never going to erase that. I think every everyone who goes through gender transition surgery knows that um, the gender that God um, that they were born as can never be eradicated from their bodies. I mean, we are male or female to every down to every cell of our body. Your your you know your XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. And uh, so, so you're uh, male or female, um, but I do think that the if, that the progression in technology really uh, supports the furtherance of ideology. Your your ideology will progress, will go down further down the path um, when you have more t- technology that supports it. So if you you rewind the tape. Like the 1960s, the big thing that happened in the 60s, Bev, was the birth control pill. Oh, yeah. Prior to, like, 1963, you didn't have the birth control pill. So if you didn't have the birth control pill, um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, behavior and ideology. If you didn't have the birth control pill, a lot of the feminist ideas that were brought forth in the 1960s wouldn't wouldn't have worked. They wouldn't have had much teeth or much traction because you needed to have women freed from, um, you know, the the consequences of of pregnancy 
or um, you know, if if you if you're going to sleep around, you, there's a there was a you know very good chance you were going to get pregnant. Well, the birth control pill changed that, and so morality changed because technology supported the change in morality, and and I think that that we've seen that now as well. Where and and another thing um, in the 1960s, you know, the whole you know getting away from leave it to beaver um model well when you just rewind the tape 10 you know 10 a decade before that you didn't have you didn't have appliances you didn't have electricity barely in your house you you didn't have you know a vacuum cleaner and a dishwasher and a stove and an oven and so just um you know, looking after the family or even having meals was a very long labor intensive process. So the whole idea that, that, um, women could, uh, leave behind the home and head out, um, elsewhere to have a job to work wasn't even possible until like the 1950s. Uh, Ideas that were pushed in the 1960s, uh, wouldn't have even been possible had technology not supported that advance. So I think we're seeing that now as well, that, you know, in terms of the surgical procedures, in terms of um, hormonal interventions, in terms of some of the, um, um, even even some of the uh, technology that we have now in terms of fertility uh, and, and um, technology in terms of just um, it, you know the DNA technology and the RNA technology that is that is developing now. Now we have um, more possibilities in terms of the advancement of the ideology than there were, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Yeah. And so I think that you know, I, and and it's fascinating to me because I, I don't think that anything. I don't think that we're seeing anything new. Um, in terms of ideas, I think that we're seeing things that are new in terms of how far those ideas can go. Um, and that's because technology is supporting um, going further. But in terms of just the core ideas, there's nothing new. And there's nothing new under the sun, um, as the um, you know, famous proverb goes. So, you know, the whole idea that I don't need God. I can define myself. I can make my own rules. I can decide for myself what it means um, to be a woman. That that that's not a new idea. You know, the, the, that's that's an idea that um, you know we can trace back probably all the way back to Eve right. uh, in the garden, who well, basically said, "I don't need God yeah. to tell me what to do. I can, you know, I can self-actualize here." Well, it's that it's that whole that self definition really becomes a self justification of sin. Like we're we're yeah. we're packaging self definition as a be you. This is good. Your truth is true, and that becomes just a blanket covering over all of your sin. You can do anything under that guise, and so it's it's just yeah. interesting. And like I'm even thinking about the messages that I see aimed at my four year old son of this this be you. And I'm like, if you really like take that apart, what does God say about who we are without Christ? Well, we're dead, we're depraved, we're doomed. Like it's this whole, it's that whole self-definition. I love that you brought that up because we just see it packaged so creatively. We don't always see it packaged as self-definition and, you know, 
all the other things, but we see it packaged as a be you and be brave to be yeah, you. you got to be you, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you hear. Be yourself. Yeah. Now let's talk about the church, yeah. Mary. How do you see this feminism coming into the church in good and negative ways? Yeah, I mean, uh, feminism has uh, always kind of poked its head up, I think, in the church. I think that, you know, whatever we see in culture tends to, you know, exhibit in the church perhaps a few years later that um, it becomes issues in the church. I think that um, when it comes to feminism, feminism has identified some very legitimate problems um, with, uh, with how women are treated and how women are viewed. I think that whenever you have a philosophy that um, that is packaged it, 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 and, and attractive to people, there's always truth. Um, there's there's always a, a, an element of truth and an element of um, something that is legitimate uh, at the core of it. And yet, what Satan does with is is take something that's legitimate and just gives it this twist so that you end up going in the wrong direction. And you think even back to Eve, that was his, his strategy with Eve in the garden. Um, he didn't out and out come out and lie. He just kind of took some truth and kind of twisted them a little bit. And so I think that a lot of women are drawn to feminism because there's a there's there are legitimate concerns. You know, I, women ought not to be abused. Women ought not to to you know have uh, genital uh, mutilation, uh, child brides. You, you know, seeing that women sold into prostitution, um, sex slavery, uh, all all kinds of things that that we see that are in, or or even. Um, um, you know, looked down or treated poorly, or uh, a woman is of less value than a man. Um, even the attitudinal things; uh, those run counter. Those are legitimate issues that run counter to God's heart for who He created women to be, as um, co-bearers of his image and uh, his likeness and his representation on earth, Um, you know, who he created humans in his likeness, male and female. So I think that there are legitimate issues. And I think that when we are drawn to feminism, we think, okay, uh, we are drawn to that because that kind of gives us the roadmap to solve these issues. But, Here's where I see the point of departure is I think it's uh, feminism identifies legitimate issues, but it twists that there's a twist there where it does not provide the roadmap at all for finding our way out of the mess. The only thing that provides the roadmap is um, the gospel and and for finding our way out of the mess of sin and um, depravity and um, injustice and women being degraded and women, uh, the, the only hope for finding our way out of that is the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we're not going to. So, so I think that feminism in the church. Uh, some people have seen feminism as being very compatible with the Bible, and in, in the sense that it identifies injustice, it is. But in the sense that it provides a solution, it isn't, because the solution is not self-determination. The solution is going back to what God has to say for us and finding, going back to those roots of who he created us to be and acknowledging that God is creator. We are not the creator. God is uh, sovereign. Um, God is ruler. Uh, God is creator of all. And only when we step into um, his plan for male and female is where we will find ourselves and where we will we will be able to find um, some resolution and some solving of those problems that are very real and very, very painful um, and very destructive for so many women. Yeah, no, so, that's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, the, so feminism... Um, Sometimes the answers that the Bible provides are counterintuitive as well. I mean, we think that that equality would mean that everybody um, is treated exactly the same way or that everyone is exactly the same. Uh, but God tells us that male and female were created differently. And um, although male and female are equal and worth and value that there's 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 a different texture to what it means to be a man versus what it means to be a woman and so uh, you know if, if we deny that the bible tells us that but if we say no that can't be that that doesn't fit with my you know 2022 paradigm um you know let's leave that part behind that part of the bible isn't relevant to us I think that, that we begin to walk away from the only thing that really gives us hope and um, gives us grounding in who we are, and we, we begin to lose ourselves rather than find ourselves. Truly. Isn't yeah. that the way? Yeah, no, that's super good. And I like just how you define that, you know, we're equal, but God created us differently, and that that's okay to say. <laughs> um, what would you say, you know, a term that we hear thrown around a lot, um, these days is patriarchy down with the patriarchy, patriarchy is evil, yeah. whatever. Um, what, why is undermining or rejecting like biblical patriarchy, like detrimental to our faith? Okay. A lot of people don't even know what patriarchy means. Patriarchy actually comes from two words, uh, pater, which means father and archai, which means to rule. So patriarchy is the rule of man or the rule of the father. So patriarchy um, is basically saying men are responsible for all of women's problems. Men are responsible for this uh, structure of society and for the way society works and functions that looks down on women and that um, uh, treats women as second-class citizens. Uh, men are responsible for um, all the ills and the evils in the world, including, uh, you know, uh, it, it, this is kind of as feminism has evolved, including capitalism, including, um, you know, ecological problems, including 
uh, you know, the, the rigid way of male thinking. And that needs to be, everything needs to be uh, dismantled in order for us to step into a greater, uh, more equal, wonderful uh, reality. It's, it's so, almost like the, the, the attack is on the men so that women can feel better about who they are, where in actuality, if, if we want to be all the woman that God has made us, um, we will embrace uh, the, our, count, our counterpart of a male, you know? Um, we're missing out on that if we reject males. Well, ultimately, what it goes back to is patriarchy goes back to a rejection of God's authority. Mm. It is a rejection of the rule of the Father, particularly the rule of Father God. And, And that's ultimately where it can be traced back to. It's basically saying we do not like the idea that there is an authority structure where God is in authority. The Father is the authority figure. We don't like that um, idea when it comes to God, and we don't like that idea when it comes to family. We don't like that idea um, that ought not to be, and we're going to level the playing field so that doesn't exist anymore, so male and female are the same. And then as the idea has progressed, we're going to, um, in fact, we're going to shake out those categories so male and female and family and marriage, all of that doesn't even exist as categories anymore mm-hmm. uh, because we do not like patriarchy, we do not like the rule of the Father, and we do not like the rule of Father God. Oh, that, that so really takes it deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so also- that's, where, that's, that's ultimately where it can be traced back to. Sure. That's what patriarchy means. Mm-hmm. And so so there's a whole, oh, we don't like that there was, um, you know, that it's the faith of our fathers. We don't like that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, the Bible wasn't fair to women when it, you know, calls God father. It shouldn't call God father. Um, it shouldn't have that category for God. Why, why is God not father, mother? Or why is why don't we equal it out? We've been calling God father for 2000 years. Why don't we start calling God mother now? Right. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot, um, there are a lot of implications because, because the Bible presents a faith structure that is based on the fatherhood of God. Um, and, and there's an authority structure there, even within the Trinity, um, that Christ, Christ is equal. So Son is equal, totally equal. He's very essence God, God um, incarnate. But but um, the Father sent the Son. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't the other way around. Yeah. And um, Father, Son. It's, it, there's there's a there's a structure there, even within the Godhead. And when you say, well, we don't like having male and female. We don't like the idea of a family structure. We don't like the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. We don't like the idea that um, we're told that there, there's there's a responsibility, a heavier weight of responsibility on the male to provide leadership to be head of the home. We don't like that. And we're going to shake our fist at God and rebel against that. Um, and we're going to deconstruct that. 
what, what ultimately ends up happening is that is to our own harm rather than to our good when we reject what the Bible has to say about um, male and female and oh, marriage and family and relationships. Right? Amen to that. You know, Mary, I read your yeah. book on the right kind of strong, and I just so appreciated it. Um, feminism in our culture today really would consider a strong woman they would maybe describe it very differently from how you describe it in your book. So how does the uh, does this differ from what the Bible says about a woman's strength? The culture today is saying this is how you need to look as a strong woman and what a real strong, godly woman might look like. Well, I think a strong woman is a woman who firmly holds on to God as, as, and, and his standard for truth. And so... You know, a strong woman can look a lot of different ways. I think, you know, women come in all shapes and sizes and personalities. And you can have a woman who's who's a, a very strong woman who, you know, maybe is a quieter woman and isn't sort of your boardroom executive kind of woman. Or, you know, maybe she works at, um, you know, the local grocery store or maybe, you know, she's home with kids or, you know, she's not the power executive Um but then again, maybe she is, you know, maybe that's, uh, maybe she, she's kind of fills that, um, kind of stereotype, but really strength, when we have strength, um, it has, it has everything to do with our dependency on God. And when we are dependent on God in terms of, um, where we find our source of, of, of strength and where we rely on him and on his word, um, that gives us a strength that is far beyond what we could be, um, you know, with our own, you know, just, just with our own wherewithal. So yeah, a strong woman, a strong woman can look very different than what culture says she looks like. And our culture says a strong woman is a woman who's always got it all together, who's always, um, in control who, um, you know, nobody tells her what to do. She's um, opinionated and she's um, um, aggressive, perhaps even. Uh, but the Bible paints a very different picture of what strength is. It, you know, it paints a picture of strength that any woman, regardless of her situation in life, can be a strong woman. And she can find a strength that is a supernatural strength. And, and and to be able to face whatever life throws her way. Ooh, I love that. That strength is dependency on God. I also was wrote down what you said um, about patriarchy too, that rejecting patriarchy goes back to rejecting God's authority. That's so good. Yeah. Like we don't want, we don't want to be dependent. We don't want to be needy. We don't want to submit to anything. We want to do our own thing. And I love that you have brought much, that to the light. Much to our demise. Yeah. What do you think about, so when we're engaging in conversations with um, women and in this day and age, you know, most all women I feel like are feminists, how do we engage in a way and how can we have conversations with them where we can, um, you know, relate to these, those issues of feminism that we all feel, um, you know, that women shouldn't be abused or oppressed, but how do we also highlight what the Bible and what God says about womanhood well i think that um the more questions you ask to actually uh determine what women are thinking um and i i think 
you know, just conversations in terms of just really, you know, okay, well, what do you think patriarchy is? When and what do you think? Um, uh, what do you think equality is? Do you think that equality means sameness? You know, what what role would you see the Word of God playing in your life? And you know, if if you believe God's Word is true, then what do you do with these parts of Scripture that that kind of show that there's there's you know a structure in in marriage and um, what do you do with that? You know, just asking questions. I mean, I I think that I would have made it a really good feminist um, um, because I just I have a uh, strong will and I have a strong sense of justice and I you know am not a traditional stereotype girly girl I'm just not um, you know I know my way around a garage and power tools and power saws and I'm just not a traditional kind of girl um, and I know what really helped me was when I was just confronted by truth um, what really helped me was when, when women allowed me to wrestle with truth um, and, in fact, encouraged me to wrestle with it. And this is, I said, I said, I think it was in um, Girls Gone Wise, I, I said that um, the very first book, probably the only book that I pitched all across the room hard against the wall was the book on womanhood. Uh, it's like, it was just, it was just, it irked me. Um, it was, I, I didn't like to hear what that book said and it, it made me angry. And so, but it was good because then I started wrestling with it and tried to, trying to be honest in wrestling with some of the things that the author said in that book that, you know, with, with regards to what the Bible was teaching. And I, I didn't end up agreeing with everything, but it certainly moved the needle for me in terms of just, um, you know, if, if, if I want to be a woman who follows God and follows God's word, I need to wrestle with right. what it says, what the word says. And I need to be willing to um, challenge my own thinking and my own behavior based on God's word. Um, and, and, to examine whether what I'm thinking and feeling and behaving is actually more shaped by culture or is it more shaped by, um, you know, by what God would, would have for me. So I just, I, I encourage women to rest. I, I love it when women do wrestle with that. And I know a lot of uh, women at Grace have gone through the uh, True Woman 101. Mm -hmm. And I bet that some some of you who went through that you wrestled with that and i'm glad um if that's the case because that means that you're you're thinking it through and you're checking it out and you want to check it out with regards to scripture you don't want um you know people giving you a cookie cutter formula for what it means to be a woman you want your thinking and your behavior directed by god's word I love that you said that we we recently did an episode on deconstruction and, um, you know, feminism and deconstruction of faith is there's so many correlations. But our response to people deconstructing in faith was 
like basically the same thing as what you just said. Like being a safe space for people to wrestle with these hard parts of scripture and these parts of scripture that we don't always want to believe because well, they're counterculture, right? Yeah. And they're hard and not get, don't want to be different. Right. And don't just give like yep. trite answers to people right. like, well, God says you're a woman, Proverbs yeah. 31 slap, like, don't like yeah. be a safe space for people to be like, this is really hard. And this, it feels like yeah. I'm not this person. And like being there for them to wrestle through it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't even like this. Or right. um, and it, it, and it's funny when it comes to to, to God's design for women. I, I always tell people, I believed that God that God's plan for womanhood was true long before I believed it was good. Mm. I believed it was true before Amen. I believed it was good. So it was what, like, how did you make that uh, transfer? Was it just by studying the word or were you actually experiencing um, these benefits of truly being a godly woman, a woman who knows God and who knows who she is before God? I, I think a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that God is very, very patient with us <laughs> and, you know, he challenges us with his word. And then as we're seeking to follow him, then we kind of go, I don't like this one bit, but you said it, it, you know, that I, I, you know, my, my fundamental belief is that the Bible is true. So I'm going to go with it. Mm -hmm. And then you go with it and then it still doesn't feel very comfortable. And then you're going with it. And, you know, it isn't always, um, the way that you would do it if, if you, if you weren't trusting in the Bible, but you're going with what the Bible says. And then all of a sudden, the goodness starts to flow into your life. And you begin to see that not only is it true, but it is also good and lovely and beneficial. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it took me, I I bet, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it probably must have taken me at least a decade to get in, you know, from from in in adulthood, from the point when I was in my twenties, and thinking, okay, I'm wrestling with this whole womanhood thing, and it's uh, I'm going to go with believing that the Bible is true and that God is God is sovereign and that He's the one who gets to define me. Um, to into my thirties, where it was like, oh, you know, this isn't just like you know, eating your broccoli that you hate, this is actually very good and wonderful. And and it's a blessing. It's a blessing to my life. I don't know. Did you go through that at all, Beth? I did. I absolutely did. I, I remember reading about submission, you know, everybody hates that word. And, but then the, and I've been married 48 years. And the more I'm married, the more I thank God for that. Because Oh, let me tell you, I've got an opinion about just about everything. However, when we come to an impasse and somebody has to decide and take responsibility, well, guess who? I look to. I look to my husband, and I feel like he's going to give the final word, and he's responsible to God for that. I've given my input, and I can have such peace in that because I've seen God take care of me through that. He works in my life through that submission to my husband. That doesn't mean I'm a doormat by any means. It means only that. Oh, we know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it really just means that uh, God has given me this gift of 
being in a marriage and having a husband. And I can trust yep. his setup. <laughs> he set it up just right. Yeah. And uh, it's just yeah. proven true again and again in all my life experience. Yeah, I think you guys even admitting that is a big deal because I feel like women can't always, they don't always feel like they can be authentic um, about these things that they're struggling with, especially in the church. I feel like they're like, well, this is what it says. You can't struggle with it. You just have to believe it and yeah, it's over. It, cram it down your throat, yeah. sweetie. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not it. Yeah. It's it's God lays out these blessings for us and his plan is one of blessing and prospering and growing as a person and, and yet we reject them and want to go our own way and that's basic sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I think that we often want to put together a checklist of behaviors because that checklists are easy but God is going for our heart and I know that um he he, he's not wanting like oh you know checklist 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 check 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 um you know uh, and especially in marriage when it comes to you know my relationship with my husband it isn't just oh did I you know Mary, Mary, um, you know, agreed to this or whatever. What what he's looking for is, do I have a um, soft, amenable spirit that trusts God and wrestles through situations where it's hard to trust Him, mm. and um, and seeks Him even in that? Because I think that. So often we go, oh, you know, submit to your husband or whatever, and 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 we make these blanket statements that are like checklists, where it's not always there. There's there's nuances in terms of okay, well, what what does that mean? Does that mean um, does that mean you know when he pulls pornography up on the computer and wants me to watch it with him, then that's a good thing. Like, how do I deal with that situation in a way that, um, in a way that is honoring um, to God, and in a way that is respectful of my husband, and and yet in a way that says no to sin. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there there's no easy blanket checklist that we can put together, and these are things that we wrestle with, um, trying to sure that our hearts are in the right spot, that we have a, a um, amenable spirit, especially toward the Lord, and that we have um, um, a soft spirit, not toward, uh, not condescending or judgmental or angry towards our um, husbands. And, and so this, it's a journey. And yeah. I think that, I think that often we just make it sound so black and white and easy and it isn't and i think that that is another way um where you if if you want to follow the lord particularly in this culture and especially in your marriage and as a woman you're going to have to be a strong woman yeah a very strong woman yeah no thank you for sharing that i think today you did you you've done such a great job of explaining the nuances of feminism too in the midst of these nuances of womanhood and I love that you brought up that we just, we always are looking for a checklist. We're looking for a black and white. And it's just, it's not always like that. But yet 
we do have God's word, which is always true. And we mm-hmm. always have truth that is black and white that we can go back to and, yep. and look at. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that this is just so timely for um, the women who are listening. And um, you know that we just love you on this podcast. Like, I hope that when you come on here, you just know that like, okay, you're one of our favorites and we love you. And we're just so thankful for you. Like you don't always get to see, um, you know, the scholarly work and just honestly, just all of the, the resources that you um, have put together about feminism. So just honestly, thank you so much. Um, would it be all right mm-hmm. if Bev just prayed over you quickly and over your family? Absolutely. I'd love that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together with Mary. We appreciate how you have poured your thoughts into her, and she was able to pour those thoughts out to us. I thank you, Father, for her strong voice on behalf of women. I thank you, Father, for her willingness to share with us today, and we do pray for her family, Lord, as she has said goodbye to a precious person in their family now, her father-in-law, and I pray that the the, the hole that is left from his life that was his, that that would be filled with just sweet memories uh, as the days go on now. And again, Lord, we just are mm-hmm. so appreciative of Mary pouring into Grace Church and the, its women. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, mm-hmm. amen. 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 Thank you so much. And you know what? I just like greetings to all you sweet women at Grace. I tell you, you are my favorites. And I love being there and love um, just the way you guys love on me. And I just hope you know that you're all loved in return. So um, I have a couple things from from Anne sitting on my desk and every time I see them I think of Grace Church so you're in my thoughts often so this is such fun um, to be with you Delaney and Bev and just uh, just so so good to just uh, be together on the podcast so thank you for the invitation thanks for coming on we love you love you bye Mary okay